I like it when you take a song that is traditionally used as an invitation song and put it somewhere else, although I hope we didn't have a bunch of people leave thinking, well, it's over now. <laughs> but uh, I appreciate the songs that you picked out. I'm thankful uh, for the work that, that elders, that shepherds do, even decisions that seemingly seem like they'd be easy sometimes are a bit complicated, and so I'm thankful uh, for the work that they do in leading and, and making decisions. If you got your Bible, you might open it to Proverbs. The third chapter will be there in just a moment. And as Bradley mentioned, we're going to talk about, and uh, under this theme of living a life that matters, talking tonight about living trustfully, living with trust. And as we get into that, the, uh, the question that would come to my mind is, well, what is trust? You know, what does that really mean? Does that mean that I can go to someone and tell them something in confidence knowing that it will go no further? I can trust that person to, to hold a confidence. Maybe you've been involved in some of those team building exercises that uh, maybe in a youth group setting or a corporate setting, sometimes if we want to bond people together, we'll take them out and do a ropes course or, or various team building things. And there's one exercise you do where I need to learn to, to trust those who are on my team. And so some of them get behind me and I fall backward, fully trusting that they're going to be nice people and catch me and not let me hit the ground. That's one idea of trust. As parents, most of us have been in the swimming pool holding our arms up and saying, all right, honey, just, just jump off the side. I'm going to be here. I'm going to catch you. If you'll just jump that first time, you can trust me. Tim Hansel described it this way in his book, Holy Sweat. He talked about he and his son Zach, and he said they were out uh, hiking and climbing in some cliffs, and uh, they'd been climbing a while, and he said, he, he said I heard a voice from uh, above me and behind me saying, hey dad, and I turned around to see my son already in the air, jumping toward me. And he said, in other words, what had happened, he said, my son jumped and then he yelled, hey dad, knowing full well or thinking that I would catch him. And he said, it was a circus act. I, I wheeled around and I caught him and we ended up on the ground. And he said, you know, when I collected myself, I said, Zach, can you give me one good reason that you would do that? And Zach's response with calmness was, sure, because you're my dad. In other words... I trust you with everything. I can jump off the cliff before I've even said, hey, Dad, and I know you're going to catch me. It's a pretty good illustration of trust, and it's a pretty good illustration of the way that we should trust God. Now, living in a fallen world creates many stressful situations for us. Stress occurs when we encounter problems. It may be job stuff. It may be fiscal stuff. It may be tax stuff. It may be election concerns. Who is fit to lead us? And stress occurs as we search for solutions. And in those stressful moments of doing life, the Christian answer that we sometimes hear and the Christian answer that we sometimes give, it almost sounds trite and cliche because the answer is, well, just trust God. Just give it to God. Just turn it over to God. It's easily said. It's not always easily done. And the interesting thing, it's actually not a trite or cliche statement, it's actually biblical. But somehow, sometimes, even as we try to do that, the weight 
that we're dealing with, the problem that's over us, it doesn't always ease up immediately. And so in many times and in many places we find ourselves thinking or or wanting to say what David said in Psalm 61 verse 2 when he said, from the end of the earth I will cry to you. When my heart is overwhelmed or when my heart is faint, lead me to the rock that is higher than I. And so this text tonight in the few minutes that we have, this text in Proverbs chapter 3, it it helps us understand God's plan for coping with our time here. And, And it's important because the way we deal with life's stresses, the way we deal with those pressures, the way we demonstrate trust in God, that's going to have a lot to do with whether or not we can live a life, successfully live a life that matters. And it's also important because when we choose not to place our trust in God, when we don't live trustfully, sometimes there's a price that we pay because of that. Sometimes we end up with behaviors and sins that that, that we never would have dreamed of being involved in. And so as we set this up, the key to trust is obedience. Uh, The key to trust is is strong faith. And and from this brief text in Proverbs chapter 3, I'll read through it and then we'll dive in and look a little bit closer. Beginning in verse 5, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him and He will make your paths straight. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. It will be healing to your body and refreshment to your bones. Again, the first thing we talk about is the idea of trusting in the Lord with all your heart. Now again, the words may seem cliche, but that instruction is God-inspired. We're going to sing in a few minutes, "'Tis so sweet to trust in Jesus." One of Satan's most powerful tools, though, as we're trying to live lives, we want to sing that out, we want to say that I'm living that, but one of his most powerful tools, isn't it doubt? Is completely trusting God the best thing for my life? Can God really come through to me? We we talked this morning, Jesus rescues Peter, but will God and can God really rescue me? Can I trust Him in that? If God really loves me, then why? And then we insert the question, whatever life situation that has created doubt within us. If if I could really trust God, then why would this have happened? And then there's the word all. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. And we've talked about the word all from time to time. That's what makes it hard. Do I trust Him completely? I may trust Him 50%, but I'm going to hedge my bets with some security of my own over here. Do I trust Him completely? Because my goal is all, it's just hard to get there. And that's why we're in the constant pursuit of being better. I believe Psalm 119 provides some insight into the mindset that we seek. If you've got your Bible, you might notice Psalm 119. And I want to notice the first eight verses, and I want to notice those verses from the new century. And this is how those verses read. Happy are those who live pure lives who follow the Lord's teachings. Verse 2, Happy are those who keep His rules, who try to obey with their whole heart. Verse 3, They don't do what is wrong, they follow His ways. 
Verse 4, Lord, You gave Your orders to be obeyed completely. Verse 5, I wish I were more loyal in obeying Your demands. Have you been there? I mean, in an honest moment, most of us can say that, that, that we've said that, we've thought that. I know what you want, God. I just, I'm just not living it out. I, I wish I could do better. Verse 6, Then I would not be ashamed when I study your commands. When I learned that your laws are fair, I praised you with an honest heart. I will obey your demands, so please don't ever leave me. See, when you think about the idea of trusting in the Lord with all your heart, I believe those eight verses of Psalm 119, they create a pretty good goal section of Scripture for us as we try to live here. But then the second part of our text, trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. Proverbs chapter 3, verse 7 says, Do not be wise in your own eyes. Proverbs 28, beginning in verse 26, Those who trust in themselves are foolish, but those who live wisely will be kept safe. And it's, it's at this point I want to think for a few minutes that the guy that we want to use as we talk about these concepts would be Abraham. And for that, I would invite you over to Hebrews chapter 11 with me. Abraham gets 12 verses out of 40 in the great hall of faith. If you include uh, verses 13 through 16 that, that actually apply to he and his family, if you include those 12 verses out of 40, 30% of the chapter, Abraham gets that. And as we think about some of these verses, I want you to think in terms of, okay, how do faith and trust and obedience... How do those three things all work together? Well, verse 1 sets it up. Faith means being sure of the things we hope for and knowing that something is real even, when, even though we do not see it. Faith is the reason we remember great people who lived in the past. For by it the men of old gained approval. As I'm thinking about Abraham and knowing a lot of his story... Notice how he trusts with all his heart and doesn't lean on his own understanding. Notice verse 8 of Hebrews 11. By faith Abraham, when he was called, obeyed by going to a place which he was to receive for an inheritance, and he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith he lived as an alien in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, fellow heirs of the same promise. For he was looking for the city which has foundations, whose architect and builder is God. He obeyed by Going, He went out not knowing where he was going. By faith he lived as an alien, a stranger, a person who felt out of place in the land where he was currently at. And so he illustrates that faith and living trustfully is that sometimes I'm not going to know the outcome physically. I'm going to obey God, I'm going to trust God, I'm going to live the way He's called me to live, and I'm going to do that not knowing what the physical outcome may be. But then the third thing we notice from our text in Proverbs chapter 3, 
is the idea of acknowledging Him in all of our ways. And so, again the text, trust in the Lord with all of your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him. See, the self-exam question here is, okay, I go to the mirror and I'm asking myself questions. Okay, in what areas of my life do I still struggle to acknowledge Him? In other words, what areas of my life are my priorities still out of order? Where I've got something of mine ahead of something of God's. Because if something of mine is ahead of something of God's, then I'm not acknowledging Him in that part of my life. Psalm 141 verse 4 Do not incline my heart to any evil thing, to practice deeds of wickedness with men who do iniquity, and do not let me eat of their delicacies. Another translation there simply says, take away my desire to do evil. I mean, there are days where we're tempted to do wrong and we say no to the temptation and we're thankful that we've had enough faith to say no, but there are also those moments where we would love to just not be tempted by that evil anymore. Grow to the point where that evil, it just is, it's not my temptation anymore. Is my heart's desire truly to not be tempted by evil? Or are there areas of my life, things about me that I, that I know they're not what God wants, I know they're not good, and, but I've decided that I'm going to live with them. I, these are my shortcomings, these are my weaknesses, I'm just going to, this is the way I am, and, and God's just going to have to be okay with the way I am in those areas as well. My point is this, sometimes... We have difficulty coping with some of life's problems because we still don't have our priorities in the order that God would have them be in. One life at church and another life away from church. Or not in church when it ought to be because priorities are still not what God calls them to be. James calls that kind of person double-minded and unstable. James chapter 1 verse 8. See, my walk with God, it can't be just a part of what I do. My relationship with God, my walk with God, must make up the essence of who I am. You see how the the, the verse presents a goal for us. In all your ways, acknowledge Him. All again being my goal. And so to acknowledge Him, I must listen to what He says about the way the life of a disciple, the life of a follower should, should look. And that's why as we think about Jesus in the story on Sunday mornings, and Jesus is in His ministry and He's, he's talking about the kingdom of heaven is like, and He teaches us something. I try to embrace that. I try to elevate my standard of living toward where He's calling it to be. All of my actions, all of my decisions, dependent upon trusting in Him and leaning on Him. And did you notice that there's a promise there in the text? Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him and He will make your paths straight. The straight paths promise think about the promise in light of James chapter 4 verses 6 and 7 James 4 
6 and 7. As James writes, he says this, But He gives a greater grace. Therefore it says, God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Submit therefore to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. There's another promise. Draw near to God and He'll draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. See, the summary thought is this. The better I am at submitting to God and pursuing His way, the path will be made straighter and the devil will actually flee. In all your ways acknowledge Him and He will make your paths straight. Again, thinking about Hebrews 11, we we go back to the example to drive this home. The example of Abraham. Not a perfect man, but he lived this out. Notice beginning in verse 17 of Hebrews 11. By faith Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. And he who had received the promises was offering up his only begotten son. Now he didn't... He didn't go, he didn't, God didn't let him go through with it, but God credited that to him. Abraham offered his son. The knife was in the air before the angel of the Lord saw. In God's eyes, Abraham offered his son. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. And he who had received the promise was offering up his only begotten son. It was he to whom it was said, In Isaac your descendants shall be called. He considered that God is able to raise people even from the dead, from which he also received him back as a type. Abraham's trusting God. You've promised to make a great nation out of me. You've promised me an offspring. You've promised me that my descendants will be like the stars of the sky, like the sands on the seashore. You're requiring my son of me. God, you'll work it out somehow. And so if you say to do it, I'm going to do it. What are you going to tell Sarah when you come home without Isaac that day? What are you going to tell your friends? Where's Isaac? Well... God told me to. You talk about faith. You talk about obedience. You talk about living faithfully. Abraham's our example in that. And then finally, number four, as we finish up tonight, it's this idea of fearing the Lord and turning away from evil. Notice verse 7 of Proverbs chapter 3. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil, evil. Do I have the faith and do I have the focus to actually turn away from those things that I really ought not be interested in, those things that really ought not have my attention? And again, we're reminded of those promises in, in, in James chapter 4, verse, um, verses 6 and 7. We go right back to those as we think about this concept. But He gives greater grace, therefore it says, God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Submit therefore to God, resist the devil, and He'll flee from you. Draw near to God, and He'll draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Do I have the faith to turn away from what's evil? 
When I was young, I had a fascination with fire. And I think a lot of young guys, I think that's just something we get fascinated with. If we can light a fire and make something burn and play in that, there's just something about it. But One day I was at my aunt's house and I had a candle lit and, and there was some plastic. And I, I wanted to see how hot that plastic would have to get before that fire would actually melt the plastic. And so I'm, I'm playing with that, but I've got the plastic tilted up away from my hand. And when something melts, it runs downhill, doesn't it? And it wasn't long, and I had, I had melted plastic running right back onto my hand, and it hurt. And I didn't want to show Mama and Daddy because I knew I wasn't supposed to be playing in the fire. And um, it's fascinating. Sunday afternoons growing up, up there in western Kentucky, we'd, we'd go out and, and we'd see who could build the biggest fire the fastest and keep that thing going. And one day we'd built a fire and we had some bricks around it and had it really, really hot and it was time to come in and put the fire out and get ready for church. And we'd put the fire out and I don't know what possessed me. I started putting things away and I picked up one of the bricks that just had fire in it. I, I, I was taking typing that semester. I didn't have to type for a couple weeks because my hand was burnt. Fascinated by fire. Sometimes evil's that way, isn't it? There's just some fascination where we, we know God doesn't want us playing with it. He doesn't want us close to it. He doesn't want us involved in it. But somehow, some way, it's fascinating. And God's wisdom is... Turn away from it. Distance yourself from it. And it takes trust to be able to do that. Again from Hebrews chapter 11. Notice verse 13. All these died in faith without receiving the promises, but having seen them and having welcomed them from a distance and having confessed that they were strangers and exiles on the earth, for those who say such things make it clear that they're seeking a country of their own. And indeed, if they'd been thinking of that country from which they went out, they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country that is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for He has prepared a city for them." We're looking for a city that we haven't laid eyes on. A city that we read about and, and the Bible in no way can describe adequately to, for us to wrap a human mind around. And so the Bible gives us a few things about heaven that we can sort of understand, but we're seeking something that we haven't seen. The architect and builder of the city we look for is God. So the question is, are we able to live as strangers and exiles on the earth? Or are we trying to have our heaven here? Because, see, when I'm trying to have my heaven right here, that often kills my ability to live trustfully because if I already have everything that I've decided is important, I don't have to trust because I've already obtained. It helps us too when we're trusting God and we're thinking about a city that we haven't seen. It helps us make sense of events that, that, that don't make sense in a low... You know, we talk lower story, upper story. We didn't do that this morning. But events that don't make sense from a lower story perspective, when I'm thinking about the city that I haven't seen, sometimes those events then can make more sense. It helps us understand and live out the idea that faith and trust... Help me. I mean, I don't have to understand the physical outcome because of my faith, because of my trust. It's the reminder that we, we do know the outcome spiritually if we'll 
trust in Him. Because I'm going to be a resident forever in that city that I haven't yet seen. You know, overall from Abraham, one of the lessons that we see over over and over is that we see this understanding that, that we're really not in control. And we like being in control. We don't like being out of control. But it's God who's in control. And so our choice is either to trust or not to trust. To obey or not to obey. And I love verse 16 of Hebrews 11. Uh, Because of the way they live, because of their faith, because of their trust, God was not ashamed to be called their God. I want to live to the best of my human limitations so that God will regard me in that same way. And I know you want that also. And so we must trust. Verse 8 of our text concludes these thoughts with this wonderful promise. If we can live this way, if we can put our trust in God, it will be healing to your body and refreshment to your bones. And so the question is, how are we doing at living trustfully? The promise is healing and refreshment. There's an amazing peace and joy that accompanies trusting God. There's actually better physical health to be had when I'm trusting God and I'm not as worried and I'm not as, about, and not as torn up about the things that I can't control. There's a refreshment that comes from successfully putting a temptation behind me. Winning a battle because I'm faithful and I've trusted God and I didn't give in to that temptation this time. The promise that knowing eventually, if I can say no to that enough times, Satan's going to give up on that one. He's not going to tempt me with that one. He'll he'll actually flee at some point. There will still be some things that hurt. There will still be people who let me down. There will still be events that I do not understand. But knowing that by being faithful, none of those things can change the eternal outcome, that should give us the strength, that should give us the courage to live trustfully. And so tonight, are you living that way? Are you trusting in Jesus? That's, we're going to sing about that. It's sweet to trust in Him. Is that the life you're living? If it's not, can we help you in some way? Can we pray together as a family? Do you need to put Him on in baptism tonight? If you have a need, while Bradley leads us in that song, let that be known while we stand and while we sing. Tis so